All right, I want to talk this morning about the top 10 distractions. Uh, I had the little, the little driving distraction thing. How many of you guys could relate to some of those? Uh, I'm sure you don't do any of those, but you pass people on the interstate that do, like especially the woman that's doing makeup and doing all the things, you know, driving with her foot and stuff. It's kind of, you know, you see that going on all the time, especially if you have to go, if you go through downtown Birmingham uh, every morning like I have to do, then uh, you see that kind of stuff. But I want to talk to you about distractions this morning, and not just distractions, but the ones that keep us from fulfilling our mission. You see, we actually have a mission. We as Christians, we as, as followers, as disciples, whatever you want to call yourself, if you believe in Jesus and you believe in the mission that Jesus laid out, then, then he's given us something to do. And, and as you know, we have things that come up to distract us from doing that. And so I want to talk about the top 10 things today and ways that we can, that we can prevent that. Now, um, in full confession, I have to tell you that I am a lifelong member of the Procrastinator Club. Actually, I never got around to joining. But um, I'd probably be elected president if we ever got around to having elections, but we don't. So, but, uh, you know, and, and uh, now my theme, though, especially in school, you know, in college and stuff, when I had projects due, I was always doing it at the last minute. And my theme was I work best under pressure, you know. So the truth of the matter is I'm just a procrastinator. And so, so distractions are something that are all too familiar for me, things that keep me from getting started until the last minute when I've got to get this done. And we're the same way with a lot of things we do. And so uh, this morning, we're going to talk about that. And the first one, number one, the most important distraction is we don't actually know and understand the mission that we have. Now, I told you that we all have a mission. Uh, and, and if I were to go around the room, if we were to go, and, and, and even if we were to go around and visit different churches and talk to Christians around the country, around the world, you would probably get hundreds of different answers of what the mission was. But, you know, I, I want to go back and see what Jesus said the mission was, and, and our mission is simply this. Jesus was talking to, just before he ascended to heaven, Jesus was talking to his disciples and his followers, and he came to them and he said, all power has been given me in heaven and on earth. Go and make followers of all the nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Teach them to do all the things I've told you, and I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. One of the other translations uses the word make disciples. One of them says, follow, you know, teach them in our ways. Jesus said, your mission is to go and make disciples. And so my mission, everything that I do is to make disciples. Now, if I'm leading worship, my job is to make disciples as I lead worship. Uh, during the week, my job for, you know, Monday through Friday uh, is I install audiovisual systems uh, in churches and high schools and football stadiums and things. And so I come across people. My job is not to install sound systems. My mission is to make disciples in everything that I do. Your mission is to make disciples. Maybe you're a fireman. Maybe you're a doctor. Maybe you're a lawyer. Maybe you're a plumber. Maybe you're a housewife. Maybe a, a domestic engineer. Whatever it is, uh, you know, whatever it is, your mission is to make disciples. Now, here's the good news and the bad news. The good and bad is that you're making disciples every day, whether you want to or not. Now, anybody, any parent who has kids understands what I'm talking about here because you know the first time that your kid repeated something that you didn't necessarily want repeated because they'd heard you say it. I can remember being about five years old, six years old. One of my earliest memories of, of doing things and, and uh, I can remember my dad, I was helping my dad work on something and my mom came down and said the words that every, that every husband loves to hear, my mom is coming over. Talking about his mother-in-law. I love my, you know, but, but, uh, but, um, they heard those words, and, and I can remember my dad. I, I don't know why I remember this memory, and, and they would kill me. If, you know. But um, I remember my dad going, dang. <laughs> and I can remember the six-year-old boy going, 
Yeah, dang. My mom was livid. <laughs> Not at me, it, you know, because I just simply repeated. And much like that, we are making disciples everywhere we go. Everything that you do every day, we're making disciples. Because you see, people look at us, especially when we throw that term Christian, when we throw that term follower, when we throw that term that, that we follow Jesus, people are looking to see what we're doing. They, they're, they're watching you to see it. You are making disciples because they are saying, let me see how to live like a follower of Jesus. Now, that's kind of scary. You guys are really quiet, so I guess you're really scared. Um, I know you hadn't left yet. That's, that's, that's going to come on like point number four or five here in a minute. But, um, but you know, we, we're making disciples. Here we go. And, and the number one distraction is we forget about that. We think our mission is to go and to rid the world of, you know, different things. We, we think our mission is to argue about things. We think our mission is to go and make sure everybody thinks the exact same way. Let me tell you, if all of you thought the exact same way that I did this morning, this would be a really weird church and... <laughs> And, and you'd probably leave because, you know, you would know just how weird I am. And so, but, but I mean, you know, God made us, I, you, you've heard me speak before. You've heard me talk about things. God gave us personalities and God, you know, he, he made us, we're all different. If we were all the same, then things wouldn't get accomplished. We're all, you know, we're all different. We have strengths and weaknesses. And so the distraction is remembering that no matter what it is you do, no matter what your gifting is, no matter what it is that God has given you to do, your mission, bottom line, is to make disciples. And so understanding that mission, when you begin to, to see that and know that everything we do is to make disciples of Jesus. Our job at 2911 is not to grow a big church, it's to make disciples. It's to go out into a community that needs Jesus and to teach them and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son, to make followers, to make disciples. Your job is we go out with small groups, our job as a small group is not to have the most dynamic small group or to get the most visitors or whatever, it's to make disciples. Everything that we do the mission, number one, is to make disciples. Number two, the next distraction that we have is religion. Now, some of you guys, this, this, this is the first jumping off point for some of you because you're thinking, we're in church, dude. You know, it's religion. Well, you see, here's the deal. I happen to think that religion and serving God can be two entirely different things at times. Okay? When Jesus came to the earth... Jesus did not come to establish a religion because there was already a religion established. Jesus didn't come. See, Jesus was born into the Jewish community. Jesus was born a Jew. And Jesus grew up with the Jewish customs and the Jewish teachings. He did not come to create religion. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus' job was not to come and, and do that. And so, but we sometimes get back to that. If you go back and you read the New Testament and you read the scriptures and you see that everything that Jesus did was about, uh, was about breaking some of that religious tradition that got in the way of what God truly intended. They, they began to make laws and make rules and try to, try to legislate things. And, and Jesus came and said, you know what? J Jesus broke it all down. He said, God gave you 10 commandments and you guys have over 100 now because you add all these things to it. And Jesus said, I'm going to break those 10 down to two. Love God, love people. If you love God, then you're not going to have graven images. You're not going to have idols in front of him. You're going to love him with all, your, with all your heart. If you love people, you're not going to lie. You're not going to cheat. You're not going to, uh, you're not going to cheat on your spouse. You're not going to steal from him. You're not going to kill him. Love God, love people. Jesus was all about, Jesus was a communicator. You guys know what the difference between an educator and a communicator, right? An educator can take something simple and make it difficult. A communicator can take something difficult and make it simple. I apologize to all you educators this morning, but... 
Uh, it's kind of the truth. You guys, you guys have to break it down and expound it and tell us all the things about it. A communicator says, look, bottom line, this is what it is. Jesus was a communicator. He came in and, 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 and he kind of got through religion. Let's look at what the scripture says. This is in Isaiah. This is, this is even Old Testament before Jesus. Isaiah says, the Lord said, these people show respect to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Their worship of me is worth nothing. They teach rules that men have made. So see, I will once again do great things with these people, great and wonderful things, and the wisdom of their wise men will be gone. The understanding of their wise men will be hidden. You see, God understood well before Jesus came on the scene when God was there. God spoke to the prophet Isaiah, and God told him, I understand there are people that are more concerned with religion. They are more concerned with tradition. They are more concerned with these things than they simply are with loving me. They say that they love me, but their actions don't match up with what their words say. And they think they have it all figured out. They have really smart people and they have this stuff figured out, but I'm going to show these smart people just how dumb they really are because they can't understand me. God is, if, if in case you guys don't know, let me share with you a truth that, that helped me a long time ago. God is much bigger than I am. God is much bigger than my human mind can comprehend. I can remember, I went back to school, uh, I, I went back to college in my late 20s, early 30s, and finished, finished my music degree, and when I went back, I, I had to take, I was a music major, I had to take a science class, so I went and took, I said, what's the easiest science class that gets the most credit so I can get this done? And so um, I took an earth science class, and, and so on the first day, the professor got up and he began to talk about, and, and the guy was really nice, and he began to talk about evolution, and this is what, and, and, and he said, I, you know, I don't do religion in here. I'm just simply giving you scientifics. And he went into it. And this 18-year-old kid on the front row just went ballistic and just, you know, went off on the, t you know, man, you don't know. And, and, just, and just, you know, started spouting things. And, and the kid didn't understand. And the professor was really kind. He said, look, I came up in a Baptist background. I understand this. I know where you're coming from. I'm just simply telling you what science is. As a guy who was, who was a, a, an ordained minister who was on staff at a church there in the community and... Um, you know, I, I sat there, and, and for me, my God is so big, I'm not going to sit here and argue with this teacher because God, I, I don't know how God created the world. I know that God did it. I know, he did, I know the Word says he did it in seven days. And he, I, I don't know how he did that. If God snapped his fingers and said, they'd let that be light, an explosion happened, and things began to move, that's cool. If God, you know, when, when God did this and he created things, and, and, and he created... For all I know, God put fossils in the ground when he created to say, watch this, watch what they think. I, I mean, God has a sense of humor. He created me, okay? I don't know how God did it. God is bigger than I am. And as such, this is what Jesus is, this, this is what the Lord was saying to the prophet Isaiah at that point. He said, he said, people say that they love me and they worship me, but they are more concerned with their traditions and they are more concerned with these other things. And can I just share with you that today, the church of Jesus Christ, especially in the United States of America, has become so distracted with religious things that we have gotten away from what our calling is to make disciples. God has called us to do that. And religion can become a distraction when we get so caught up in it. Distraction number three. We focus on other people's shortcomings. This is, this is the second jumping off point for some of you guys. Uh, we focus on other people's shortcomings. We are so concerned with other people. Now, now, here's the thing. It is human nature. 
Why do you think gossip magazines and things are so, are, are, you know, they, they're, they sell so well and people, they're so popular? Because we want to know that people who look, appear to have perfect lives aren't more perfect than we think they are. We want to know what's really going on. We, we love underdogs until they become successful. Then we want to see them torn back down because they're better than us and we don't want them to be better than us. We focus on people's shortcomings and what's wrong with them. And, and it's human nature. It's, it's because it's not so much because we want them to fail. It's because we want to feel better about ourselves a lot of times. We want to compare ourselves with that. When uh, uh, my wife and I, my wife and I have this thing that we do with Facebook. And uh, I'm sure none of you guys do. Uh, but, you know, we see people that we went to school with or that we knew several years ago. And we show the picture to our spouse and we say, do I look this old? I know none of you do that, although several of you who confess to me that you do exactly that. But, but we do, you know, we look and we say, do I look that old? Is that what I look like? And, and, and so, you know, we do things like that because we want to feel better about ourselves. It's a human nature, but it becomes a distraction. Jesus, and, and this is really cool. Most of the verses I use, I use in the Message Bible because I'm a simple guy and the Message Bible puts it in simple terms. This one I used NIV because some of you guys will, will recognize it better. It says, why do you look at the small piece of wood in your brother's eye and don't see the big piece of wood in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take that small piece of wood out of your eye when there is a huge piece of wood in your own eye? You, would, you who pretend to be someone you are not, first take the big piece of wood out of your own eye. Then you can better see to take the small piece of wood out of your brother's eye. The Message Bible puts it like this. It's like you have a huge mark on your face and you go to your friend and you say, let me get that small smudge off of your face and you wet a rag before you wipe your own face off. We tend to do things like that. We look at other people's, we look at other people's shortcomings and many times it's because they struggle with things that we may not struggle with. So in our eyes, you know, I struggle with little things. You struggle with big things. Other people are looking and saying, that thing you struggle with is really big. As a young man, I struggled with pornography, and it's something that, uh, as a young man coming up, uh, just to be transparent with you today, like most young men in America, you know, it, it's, it's something that, that was a struggle, and, and, and God had to deliver me, and God had to do things to, you know, to, to help me get through that, and there are many of you that struggle with things like that. Now, for me, it's like me seeing that in my life and saying, you know what, that's just a small struggle, but you, you struggle with something else. Um, I, I had a friend who was talking about a uh, he, he was, he was in a, a national convention. It was the youth pastors thing. And, uh, this woman, <laughs> this woman was talking about, he was from the West coast and she was from the South. And, and they were talking about, um, when I was growing up, they called it, we didn't do mixed bathing, um, on youth retreats. Now that has nothing to do with taking a bath for those of you who, who are young and don't get that. But those of you who are older, um, who are like me on the other side of 40, you guys know what I'm talking about when I say mixed bathing. That means that you didn't swim, guys, they didn't, let, they didn't want boys and girls to swim together. They were afraid that, you know, uh, I don't know, you know, but, but they, they didn't want to do that. They didn't want to distract them. And so, um, so on this, this was several years ago, and these youth pastors, this one from the West Coast, uh, this woman from the South was talking to him and told him, you know, I can't believe that you would let your young people swim together like that. That's just, that's just creating a, an environment for sin to come in. And the whole time she's got a cigarette dangling out of her mouth. And this guy was, and, and he was kind of like, you know, do, do we not see the irony here that, you know, for what some people would see as a huge sin, this person, you know, it, and so the thing is, Jesus is like, you know what? I have called you to make disciples. 
And so in order for that to happen, you have to clean your face before you try to go clean other people's faces. Before you can go dig the speck out of somebody else's eye, you need to get that two by four out of your eye before you go out to the community. It becomes a distraction because we fall back to that human nature and we want to feel better about ourselves and we want to go out and it's easier to point fingers at the sins that other people struggle with and ignore the ones that we struggle with. It's kind of like when you see huge, overweight guys stand in the pulpit and they talk about, they, they want to get, uh, I, I have a friend um, from my childhood and he's, he's a rather large individual and, uh, <clears throat> and he talks about wanting to get we need to get serious about sin. And I, <laughs> I didn't because God wouldn't let me. But I wanted to send a private message that said, let's start with gluttony. <laughs> let's start with, you know, let's, let's, let's start with some of the things that we don't preach about on Sundays, you know, that we don't hear about things like that because we have our favorite sins. Jesus has called us, you know, to make disciples and we'll focus on other people's shortcomings. It makes us feel like we are above them and we cannot communicate and therefore cannot effectively make them disciples of Jesus Christ. It's only when we realize there but for the grace of God go I. It's only when we realize I, Paul, the man who wrote most of the New Testament, Paul said, I am the chiefest of sinners. The things that I want to do, I don't do. The things that I don't want to do, I wind up doing. Oh, wretched man that I am. Terrible person am I. And yet God has called me. And he went, he wrote most of the New Testament. He preached to, to the known world at that time. When we begin to understand, like Paul, I have shortcomings. I am a loser. There are things about me that you guys don't know. And if you knew everything about me in my life, you may not like me anymore. And that makes me want to be very accepting of who you are and where you are so that I can share with you the love of Jesus Christ for what you need in your life. Only then can we make disciples. Number four, distraction. Social media technology. You get distracted because you're saying... Do I look this old? But uh, No, it, it becomes a distraction. Now, now, let me just say this right now before I go any further. Let me say that as a, as a young person growing up, uh, I, I came up in a Pentecostal church, very, very, strict, um, very strict upbringing and, and things, and, and we didn't, you know, uh, as, as a kid especially, you know, I could tell you more of the things that we were against than the things that we were for, you know, and they said, well, you're with the Assemblies of God, what did you, you know, what do you believe in? Well, we believe that you shouldn't dance, you shouldn't go to movies, you shouldn't watch rated R movies, you shouldn't do this. Yeah, but what do you believe? Well, I believe that, you know, if you do this, God will get mad if you do. And, and you see, it was only when I grew up that I began to have a relationship with God, that I began to understand that Jesus loved me. And that, and that God laid out a thing. It's kind of like being married. Um, I've been married for almost 26 years. And um, I don't not cheat on my wife because I'm afraid of her, though I am. Um, <laughs> I am faithful to my wife because I love her with all of my heart. And I would not want to do anything that would hurt her and break her heart. I do enough of that by accident. So I don't, I'm not going to do something like that on purpose. And if it comes about love, it doesn't become about fear of retribution. It becomes about understanding that I have a relationship based on love. And my relationship with God became one based on love that I understood that God loved me so much that he gave his only son to give his life, to suffer and die so that I could have life and not only have it, but have it more abundantly. That God loved me so much that while I was still a dirty, rotten sinner, that he gave himself to die on the cross so that I could live. 
And when I understood that, I began to fall in love with Jesus. It was no longer being afraid of God striking me down, of the big Zeus-looking guy with thunderbolts zapping me if I messed up, but more about I don't want to break this person's heart who loved me so much that they gave their own life for me. Social media is important to everything that we do. You can barely get by. Um, the, the, the job that I have, we do a lot of work. Uh, we, we install sound systems in prisons. I've been in 12 of the state institutions, uh, and we'll go into the rest of them uh, within the next year or so. And when I go into one of the prisons to do this, the first thing that you have to do is I have to give them my cell phone. I have to be searched, and, and, and they have to go through all our stuff, and I have to leave my cell phone in the car. Now, I'm old enough that it, I was in my late 20s before I ever had a cell phone. But can I tell you how distracting it is to be working without a cell phone and to want to know what time it is? To want to see what's going on, you know, when you've when you got a few minutes and you sit down for lunch and, you know, what are you going to do? You're going to do what everybody else does. You're going to check your Facebook to see what's going on. <laughs> you know, I'm going to see if I got any Twitter followers. I'm going to do, you know, and you don't have it with you. It becomes a distraction. I find that so many times we become so distracted with things like that that we lose the ability to communicate one-on-one -on -one with each other. I have some friends who do a great thing. I, and I've, uh, I've seen it on the internet, so I didn't necessarily come up with it, but um, they go out to dinner together and they all put their cell phones in the middle of the table. And the first one who picks up their cell phone to look at it has to pay for dinner. <laughs> what it does, it, because how many times have you gone out with somebody and they spend the whole dinner? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. You know, their, their mind is a hundred other places. <laughs> if, if, if we go to dinner, my wife has to, you know, especially if, if, if it's time where, you know, we're, we're having a date night and it's, look, we're being alone. We've got to, you know, we got to reconnect. Um, she makes sure that she sits so that my back is to the TV because I'm easily distracted. <laughs> it's that procrastination thing that kicks in again. And I, you know, and, and I'm, ooh, shiny, you know? And so, uh, Social media can be the same way. Social media can be a tool that can be very important. You saw a few minutes ago, we talked about the things, the technology. We talked about send them to, you know, share the, the, the social media things. We do that and we use it as a tool, but we can't let it become such a distraction that we put everything about it, everything that we do and everything, you know, every little thing on Facebook because we have to be careful because our job is to make, okay, four people got that, so... I guess we're going to, our job is to make disciples. So our job is to, okay, you guys got it now. And so we have to be, to care, we have to be careful that we don't begin to post things and do things that prevent us from being able to make disciples. And when social media becomes a distraction, go, go ahead and throw that scripture up there. It says, don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity. God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. I've often said that uh, if I could give Facebook something for Christmas, it would be a laundry basket. So people could put their dirty laundry there and not air it on Facebook. Because we do, two people got that joke. I'm gonna have to work on my stuff here, so. Um, we begin to air things on, on Facebook. We get mad at somebody, and, and I love it when, when they leave a name out, but they post on Facebook, you know, I really love it when someone, and, and they put a description that is so well that people that don't know the person know who you're talking about, you know? And we put those things on there, and then we wonder why that person gets mad. 
and, and, and we go back and forth and we argue and we do things and we post things that are hate-filled and venomous sometimes because we do it in a spur of the moment. Let me tell you what, the worst thing, you know, the worst thing that ever happened was, was that send button that you could do really fast because you don't have, to, it's kind of like using a credit card. You don't have to think about the money you're spending. You just swipe it and go. And, uh, you know, and so we do that and, and, and it becomes a distraction and it distracts not only us from doing what we're supposed to do, it distracts our ability to make disciples of Jesus. Technology, these, these are things, so, so be careful. I, I'm not going to go a whole lot more because I'm fixing to really make the rest of you mad. Uh, number five, distraction is politics. See, it's really quiet. There's not even a, there's not even a, you know, it was just kind of a, we're going to wait and see. He's got long hair. I don't know what he's going to say. I was in a church one time, and, uh, and, and they were talking, and, and they were bashing, you know, <clears throat> a certain political figure who's president of the United States. And so they started, they were talking about, the, you know, it was a small group thing, and I was there as a guest, and, and they were talking. And, and, and I, would offer, I would offer things. I would play, you know, devil's advocate or angel's advocate or whatever, you know, playing the opposite side for those of you. And so... Um, and, and I'll begin to offer, and, and, this, and this young, this, this older lady in the group, as serious as she could, she goes, Brother Jeff, tell me you're not a Democrat. <laughs> she was serious. <clears throat> I said, no, but I don't know that I'm a Republican either. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a disciple. I'm a follower of Jesus. And so I have to vote things according to the way that as I pray about it. And, and God is not you know, interested in one or the other. And this is not a discussion, and I've just lost some of you. And, and, and I, I get that. But I want to talk because you see, politics, you know, God called us to go out and to be, it said to be in the world and not of it. God called us to go out and be a part of the world. He didn't call us to shelter ourselves from everything that goes on. He didn't call us to be so separated that he said, because what good is salt if it's left in the shaker? I've called you to be salt and light. And how good, how can you do that if you stay home in the salt shaker? You've got to get out into the world. You've got to go out and be a part. But remember who you are and remember what I've called you to do. I've called you to make disciples. And so we can get so caught up. And this morning, I don't know which way you lean, left, right, center, what. I don't know where you are. I don't know. I know some of you because I, I'm Facebook friends with you. Um, but uh, that was okay. You can laugh. I'm not, I'm not going to rat you out or anything. I just... Um, it doesn't matter which one of those is. It matters that we have been called to make disciples. And you know what? If God has laid on your heart and God has given you giftings and abilities that you can run for public office and you can be the light of Jesus Christ in a public office, then by all means, you should do it. And if God has called on you and laid on your heart to, to be a part of a campaign because you know, he's laid on that and you should be a part of that, then you do what God has called you to do. But we cannot let it become so distracting that we forget and lose focus that our job is to make our job is to make disciples and to go out and to be Jesus. I used the term uh, in a message uh, a year or so ago that God, you know, God called me to be Jesus in a Jeff suit. Jesus, God wanted me to go out and to be Jesus to people who don't know. And I, you know. <laughs> Although I had a guy tell me the other night, uh, you look more like Jesus every time I see you. I think he was talking about the hair, but I said, well, thanks. Um, 
But God has called me to be Jesus to those. God has called you to make disciples, to go out and to be Jesus. And we get so caught up in politics. Now, now before I show you the scripture, we all have scriptures that we would like to toss out. Now, some of you are like, not me, brother. I believe in every word that's written. Hang on. <laughs> I'm fixing to show you some scripture here. Go ahead, Chase. <laughs> be a good citizen. This is Romans 13. Be a good citizen. All governments are under God. Insofar as there is peace and order, it's God's order. So live responsibly as a citizen. If you're irresponsible to the state, you are irresponsible with God, and God will hold you responsible. Duly constituted authorities are only a threat if you're trying to get by with something. Decent citizens have nothing to fear. Do you want to be on good terms with the government? Be a responsible citizen, and you'll get on just fine. The government working to your advantage, uh, you'll get along just fine. The government working to your advantage. But if you're breaking the rules right and left, it's kind of funny. He said right and left. I thought back to the political thing. Right and left, watch out. The police aren't there just to be admired in their uniforms. God also has an interest in keeping order, and he uses them to do it. That's why you must live responsibly, not to avoid punishment, but also because it's the right way to live. That's also why you pay taxes. This is the part that's really going to make some of you. This is the way you pay taxes so that an orderly way of life can be maintained. Fulfill your obligations as a citizen. Pay your taxes. Pay your bills. Respect your leaders. <laughs> I see a lot of empty chairs all of a sudden. No, I'm just um, <clears throat> see, here's the thing. And, 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 and if you want to talk about this later or something, I, I'll be glad to because here's the thing. I understand that I do not know everything. When I was in my 20s and I first got into ministry, I knew everything back then. But the older I get and the further I get to this side, I understand I don't know everything. I don't understand anything. I told you a while ago, God is a lot bigger than I am and his thoughts are a lot higher than mine and, and I don't get that deep. I just know what the word tells me. And the word tells me to be responsible and to be a good citizen. Now, before you say, well, brother, that didn't, he didn't have the same leader that we or the same thing that we, let me tell you, this is the Roman government that, 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 that Apostle Paul was talking about, the same government that had the Apian Way. For those of you who aren't history buffs, you don't go back. The Apian Way was a road that was lit with the bodies of burning Christians because they were, they were either fought to the death against lions and gladiators in the arena or they were tortured and killed because they, didn't, because they, they were outspoken and they were trying to make disciples of Jesus instead of making disciples of Caesar and the Roman government. This is the government that Paul lived under. And Paul said, be a good citizen. Understand. The Bible says that, you know, uh, if, 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 if a soldier asks you to carry his thing packed for a mile, carry it for two miles. What they were talking about is the soldiers could commandeer any individual at that time. And he could say, here, carry my gear. They had been walking. They were having to march. Obviously, they didn't have tanks and transports and things. So they had to walk everywhere they went. And so they would say, here, carry my gear. Jesus said, if they make you carry it, carry it two miles. They can make you legally do it for a mile. You should do too because, because you are a good citizen. You are making a disciple. Now, a former, one of, one of my mentors, former pastor of mine, he, um, he liked to put it like this. It's not submission if you agree with it. You see, if I submit to God, we talked, I, I, I said that Jamie and them, they, the words they had a while ago, it talked about, we are your burning ones. We are consumed by you. We give our lives, you know, we set our lives apart. We're consumed by you. We give everything to you. We are yours. If that's the case and we submit to God 
If we agree with everything God asks us to do, it's not submission, it's simply agreement. Submission comes when God says, I want you to pray for your leaders. But God, you don't understand. <laughs> You're right. I'm not as smart as you are. I told you God's got a sense of humor. And so um, God calls us to not get so distracted. Be active in your community because we need to be salt and light. Go out and be a part. Go out and vote your conscience. Vote your heart. Pray and let God lead you the way that you should vote and the things you should do. But don't become so distracted that we forget our mission. The mission that we have to be Jesus to a community and to make disciples. Number six, hobbies. <laughs> now, <laughs> okay, anybody that's left from that has gone because we're the football capital of the world here. And so, you know, you guys are, uh, anything that's left now, you, you, I've, I've completely lost you at this point. Now, here's the deal. There is absolutely nothing wrong with having a hobby. You need hobbies. We need things that, that, that can keep us, not every distraction is a bad thing, Okay. Because, you know, have you ever heard the thing, that was a, that, that was a, it was a pleasant distraction, it was a good distraction, we're going through things we need sometimes to keep our minds off of it. It's not allowing things to become so much of a distraction that we can't be, we can't be disciple makers, that we can't go out and do what God has called us to do. It's, it's standing up and being different. There was a, uh, there's a statement that Gordon Dahl said, and this was written in the 70s, actually, Americans, uh, Americans worship their work, work at their play, and play at their worship. Now, this was written like in 76. Uh, in the year 2015, I would say this is even more timely, that, that we as Americans, we worship our work. You know, we have job, people are sold out to that man. They, they, put in, they, they put in hours. They do things. Everything is about climbing, you know, doing this, reaching this, making this. We work at their play, uh, be it a golf game, be it fishing, be it football, be it whatever it is, we, we work at it. I mean, we go out, you know, we, we do what we can do. We do favors so we can score tickets to, you know, to the game or so we can do this, we do that. We, we go out and we do everything we can do and we play at our worship because worship somehow falls like third in the pecking order there. You know, we, we got play, we got this, and we got worship. And sometimes there are other things that juggle in there. When we let anything become a distraction, no matter how good, there are things that are absolutely nothing wrong. There is nothing wrong with, with, you know, there's nothing wrong with having hobbies. There's nothing wrong with being, with, with being involved in the political activities of your community. There's nothing wrong with, with many of these things. It's when they get to the point that it consumes our life that we lose sight of the most important thing, and that is to make disciples. When we forget that what's your job to do is to make disciples and be like Jesus to a community. And that's what it was. I, I'm, I touched base on the hobbies. I, I, I'm not going to go too far forward with that. But you know, let me just throw out there, God has called us to, um, he told us uh, in, in Leviticus, he, he laid out the festival of first fruits and it talks about giving the first of everything. Uh, it also talks about tithing. We give the first 10%. We give things to God. If, if our hobbies get the very best of who we are and what we are, then like Pastor Rick preached a few weeks ago, the first top 10, the, the, first, the first two sermons of the top 10 series were about the 10 commandments. And he talked about idols. If, it, if your hobbies take all the very best of your time and abilities and finances and effort, then you probably have an idol and not a hobby. I'm Jeff and I love you. That's the way it works. The next distraction, number seven, focusing inward instead of outward. And I'm going to start to move because you guys are thinking, good Lord, you still got three more of these things. Um, 
Focusing inward instead of outward. God has called us to be disciples. God has not called us to raise a huge church. God has not called us. You don't want to know why. If you guys, those of you who have been here with us since the, since the other building, you guys know we, uh, Pastor Rick talked about going on the road and playing on the road. And we've been here for 16, a little over 16 months now. And uh, he talked about doing things. You see, our job is not simply to build a huge church. Our job is not simply to go out. And our vision is not just to have a whole bunch of people that say they belong to 2911. Our mission is to make disciples. Our mission is to change a community. Our mission is to begin to spread to others, just like, just like 12 disciples, 11 disciples began to, they, they, they began to move after Jesus ascended to heaven. And they began, those, those 11 men began to tell others and they told others and they told others and it spread across the known world at that time. So that over 2,000 years later, people still talk about what happened and people still know what went on with that. God has called us to make disciples. God has called us to be Jesus and focus, focus inward instead of out, uh, to focus outward. And here's why. I was hungry and you fed me. This is, this is Jesus giving a parable. And he's talking about, you know, he's, he's talking about the day of judgment. He says, here's why. I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was homeless and you gave me a room. I was shivering and you gave me clothes. I was sick. You stopped to visit. I was in prison and you came to me. Then those sheep are going to say, Master, what are you talking about? When did we ever see you hungry and feed you, thirsty and you give you a drink? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will say, I'm telling the solemn truth. Whenever you did one of these things to someone overlooked or ignored, that was me. You did it to me. Then he will turn to the goats, the ones on his left, and say, get out, worthless goats. You, you're good for nothing but the fires of hell. Why? Because I was hungry, you gave me no meal. I was thirsty, you gave me no drink. I was homeless, and you gave me no bed. I was shivering, and you gave me no clothes. Sick and in prison, and you never visited. Then those goats are going to say, what are you talking about? When did we see you hungry or thirsty or homeless or shivering or sick or in prison and it didn't help you? And he said, I'm telling the solemn truth. Whenever you fail to do one of these things to someone who is being overlooked or ignored, you fail to do it for me. You see, God has called us not to simply grow a huge church. God has called us not to do things so that, so that we feel better about ourselves. God has called us not to build a thing so that people look at us so that we can walk with our heads held high and say, yes, I do go to church 2911. Thank you. God has called us to go out and to do things so that people can't stop but help, that they can't help but stop and say, don't you go to that church, that church with a weird name, uh, 3624 or whatever, is 20, church 2911. And then we can tell them the scriptures and we can tell them what it's about. And they say, man, when, when, my, when my relative died, you guys came and you gave food. When, when I needed something, you guys came and helped. I was there when you guys did a back to school. I was there when you guys did this. I was there when you guys did this. We had a visitor for the last few weeks that was from an orphanage in Romania that could come and say, I saw the orchard that you guys, you guys sent us money so that we could plant, so that we could have fresh fruit and bless the community, not just the orphanage. I drank water from the well that you gave money to dig. When we begin to not focus inward on ourselves and begin to look outward, then we are beginning to make disciples because God knows that it's more important for us to look beyond ourselves. If you have a need this morning, can I tell you the absolute best way to get your need met? Meet the needs of someone else. If, you are, if you're lonely this morning and you feel, like you're the, you, you feel like there's no one else in the world that knows who you are or cares about you, love somebody else. Be a friend. Find somebody else that looks like you feel and go talk to them. 
If you have, if you need something this morning, help somebody else. If you have dreams that you can't accomplish on your own, find somebody else to help them accomplish their dreams and you will get yours helped. When we begin to focus out, when we begin to quit looking at what can it do, what can, what can you do for me? There's a famous saying, of course, that, that uh, John F. Kennedy said that said, ask not what you could do for you, ask not what your country could do for you, ask what you could do for your country. We see he wasn't the first one that came up with a concept. It's a scriptural concept. Ask not what the kingdom of God could do for you, but what you could do for the kingdom of God. Ask not what it is that, that, that other people can give you. Ask not for a discount because, because you're a Christian or because I can remember as a kid, I had an uncle who was a pastor, and I remember his wife going to a grocery store and saying, do you get pastor discounts? And they used to do that. There were stores that used to do that. But we as the church of Jesus Christ have taken advantage of these things, and we have lived in such a way that people are sick of the way, they're, they're sick of hypocrisy, and they're sick of people who are focused inward. And they need disciple makers that are focused outward. They need people whose eyes are on Jesus and whose arms are reaching out to those around and meeting needs of the community. The next distraction, self-pity. This ties right into that. So many times we become so, we become so dejected because things don't go our way. When things around us, can I tell you, you may not agree with everything that's going on in your community, in your state, in your nation, in your world, but can I tell you that God is still on the throne? Can I tell you that, that you, may not, you may not understand and you may not agree and you may be confused with some of the things, but can I tell you that God is in control of everything? And instead of looking in and saying, God, you have forsaken us. God, where have you gone? Why is, oh, we, have, we are going to hell in a handbasket because of this and that. That's one of those old terms that anybody at this side of 40 will understand. Um, <laughs> instead of focusing inward, instead of pitying ourselves and wondering, why me? God, why do I have to go through this? I love you. Why did you take that loved one of mine? Why did you do this? I, I serve you. I pay tithes. I go to church 2911, bless God. I, I don't know why this is happening to me. Show us that scripture. It says, this is what God does. He gives his best, the sun to warm and the rain to nourish to everyone, regardless. The good, the bad, the nice, and the nasty. I love the message Bible. The nice and the nasty. If all you do is love the lovable, what do you expect, a bonus? Anybody can do that. If you simply say hello to those who greet you, do you expect a medal? Any run-of-the-mill sinner does that. In a word, what I'm saying is this. Grow up. Your kingdom subjects. Now live like it. Live out your God-created identity. Live generously and graciously towards others the way God lives towards you. God doesn't say, he doesn't call us when everything is good for you, then be happy. He doesn't say that, hey, when, when everything is good and, and, and you know, you've got everything going your way and everything's just like you like it, then you know, blessed are you. He says, I give, I give rain and sun. I give blessings and I, everything happens to everyone, good and bad, nice, nasty. It doesn't matter who they are. I do out. Now, my children understand. My kids, my kids are my heart. I love my boys. I would do anything for my boys, and they know it. But that doesn't mean that when they have friends, and they always have friends over, <laughs> it doesn't mean that when there aren't other people around there, I don't feed my kids and tell the rest of them, sorry, you ain't got to go home, but you got to get up out of here. You know? I say, hey, 
we got food. You guys want to eat? There was, there was a group yesterday at my house. I think some of them are here this morning. There was a group yesterday at my house, my son and they, they, were, they were recording and doing some stuff. And I said, hey, I got food up here. You guys want to come eat? <laughs> They're 20 something year old guys. Of course they wanted to eat. That's the way God is. He loves his children and he blesses his children, but that doesn't mean that everybody else, he says, sorry, you should have been one of my kids. God says, I give blessings. I reign. I do this to everybody else. And he tells me, you know, if my kids got jealous and say, dad, I wanted that leftover pizza for tomorrow's lunch. What are you going to tell your kids? Grow up. We've got food for tomorrow. I don't know if these guys do or not. They're at my house and they're hungry. I'm not having them leave here hungry. God has called us to make disciples. And the way that we make disciples is not by feeling sorry for ourselves and looking inward and worrying about why me. It's about, it's about asking God, what else can I do? Show me somebody that I can bless. God, I'm hungry. Show me somebody that I can help. The next distraction, frivolous things. Now, you, and if you're counting at home, we're at number nine here. So uh, this is kind of a catch-all because we could sit here all day long and I could talk about hundreds of distractions that we face as the church and things that are going on. But I wanted to get to this point. There are frivolous things. My mentor in Florida, the one who is like my spiritual dad, he, he told me young and early in ministry, and I've shared this with ministry candidates that I've interviewed here at the church and, and that, that I help mentor. And uh, it's, it's this. He, he told me early on, he said, you need to have three lists. And he said, you should write them on the flyleaf of your Bible. Most of you guys have it on your, you're like me, you have it on your iPad now. You, you know, so, you know, but, but you know, he, it's so important you write it down somewhere. You need three lists. Number one, things that are worth dying for. You need to have a list of things that are so important that you are willing to go to the death. You are willing to lose friendships. You are willing to lose family. This is so important that I will not, I will not bend on this topic. You need a list of things that are worth fighting over. They're not necessarily worth dying over, worth losing friendships and things over, but it's important enough to stand up and fight about it. And then you need list number three, which is everything else. Because you see, as a disciple... As a disciple maker, as a follower of Jesus, as somebody who knows what's important, I know when it's time to stand and fight. And I know when it's time to argue about something that you can do what you want to, but you can throw me in jail, you can do whatever it takes. I am willing to die for this fact. And there are things that I'm willing to say that this is worth, this is worth us having a, having a disagreement over, worth us discussing. And there are things that it's worth, it's, I just bite my tongue because it's not worth fighting over because my job is to make disciples. Now I have to tell you, in my early 20s, the first list and the second list were the longer lists. The older that I have gotten and the more that I have been blessed of God and the more that God has done things for me that I don't deserve and the more that God has given me, the more that God has given me a love for other people, the third list has gotten bigger. And the first two have gotten a little bit smaller. Now, maybe you're thinking, well, <laughs> brother, then you've just lost sight of Jesus. No, <laughs> I think I've gained sight of Jesus. Because the closer I come to him, the more I understand that my job is to make disciples. And the important thing for me to preach is Christ and him crucified. That's quoting Apostle Paul. 
It's my job to go out and to say, Jesus loved you so much that he gave his only son that whoever believes, whatever you've done, whoever you are, wherever you are, if you believe that he died for you, that he'll, he can give you life everlasting. It says, if you confess your sins, he'll be faithful and just to forgive you of all your sins and to cleanse you from unrighteousness. It doesn't say if you and I are on the same page about every topic. It says, if you believe. And these frivolous things come in. There's a scripture that I wanted to share with this. Philippians 4, 6, and 8. Don't fret or worry. Instead of worrying, pray. Let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers. Letting God know your concerns. Before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness, everything coming together for good will come and settle you down. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of your life. Summing it all up, friends, I say you'll do best by filling your minds and meditating on things that are true, noble, reputable, authentic, compelling, gracious. The best, not the worst. The beautiful, not the ugly. Things to praise, not things to curse. I consider myself a worshiper. I've been a worship pastor since I was 18 years old. I, um, I've led worship in other countries. I've led worship in front of huge crowds. I've led worship in front of small home groups. I've led hymns. I've led contemporary songs. I've led traditional songs. I've led secular songs. Can I tell you this? Some of you guys are thinking, I, I've got to explain that now because some of you are like, um, there's nothing like having a group of young people sit around and sing to Jesus. Have I told you lately that I love you? Have I told you there's no one else above you? You fill my heart with gladness. You take away all my sadness. Ease my troubles, that's what you do. You see, if they didn't come up in church and they begin to sing those words, they begin to understand what you and I say when they say, What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. I've seen people, and I've, I've seen it done, and, and as a worshiper, as a worshiping heart, my job, I have learned that when I worship God and when I stay focused on God, I can see beauty in everything. Whether it's a song that says, have I told you lately that I love you that may not have been written for that, but God knows my heart and that's what I'm feeling. When, when, I, tell, when I tell God, I, I don't understand. When I tell God, I don't understand what you're thinking right now and I'm hurting, but I trust you. A worshiper can understand and see those things and it makes it much easier for me to look past everything else and make disciples. Which takes us to our final point, number 10. This is Pastor Rick fault so long because he started the top 10 things, so I had to do 10 of them. So. Number 10 is we've forgotten our first love. Um, <clears throat> this, of course, comes from the Scripture in Revelations. Revelations chapter 2, I believe, where... Uh, go ahead and throw that up there, Chase, where it says... Write this to Ephesus, the church at Ephesus, to the angel of the church, the one with seven stars in his right fist grip, striding through the golden seven light circle speaks. This is Revelation, so it's got some weird stuff that I, you know, we'll talk about that. But it says, I see what you've done. This is God talking to the church at Ephesus. I see what you've done, your hard work, your you refusal to quit. I know you can't stomach evil that you weed out apostolic pretenders. 
I know your persistence, your courage, and my cause, and that you never wear out, but you walked away from your first love. Why? What's going on with you anyway? Do you have any idea how far you've fallen? A Lucifer fall. Recover your dear early love. No time to waste, for I'm well on my way to removing your light from the golden circle. Basically, Jesus is writing to the church, and he's saying, you do the right things. You, you, know, you, you, you reach out. You don't quit. You don't give up when things don't go your way. You don't look inwardly. You, know, you, you, you look outwardly. You do all these other things, but you have forgotten your first love, and you've forgotten why you do these things. Basically, the church at Ephesus forgot distraction number one, and they allowed it to become a distraction. They lost sight of the mission, which is to simply make disciples. Our job is to be Jesus. The Bible says to go out and compel them in. <clears throat> Sometimes, I think in some of the translations, we've, we've read that repel. <laughs> that was funny. You can laugh. It's okay. But God has called us to make disciples, to go out and to compel, to go out and teach them the ways of Jesus, not teach them the traditions of the church, not teach them the way that we understand this to be, but to teach them the ways of Jesus, to tell them that God loves you so much that no matter where you are, no matter what it is, no matter which side of the fence that we stand on or different arguments, you know, whether you're for a flag or against a flag, whether you're for marriage or whatever it is, wherever it is that you and I, whether or not we agree or we stand, God loves you and God loves me. And that's the most important thing. From there, we can work the other stuff out. You and I can search out scripture together. We can talk about things. We can do that. But as long as I have God's love for you and you have God's love for me, everything else we can deal with and we can get through God has called us to make disciples. If you would, if you guys would stand, the worship team's coming back up now. If you guys would stand and, and come to the front. If you're a visitor and, and, and you think, well, I'm weird anyway, but you think things are kind of weird and you don't want to come forward, that's fine. Um, but we like to close together as a family up here near the front. And uh, we've, got a, we've got some guys here that are a prayer team. And, and these, guys, these guys devote themselves to prayer. And, and, and they'd love to pray with you if you have a need this morning. Um, Maybe you're one of those who, who have a lot going on in your life. Maybe it's, uh, maybe like I talked about while I go, the, the, the self-pity thing. Maybe, maybe you've got, you, you got a real need. And, and understand, when I say self-pity, there are real needs that cause that. I'm not saying that your need is, is, is not valid. I'm not saying that it's not the most important thing. I'm saying that we can't let it become a distraction. And so in order to do that, we've got some guys that are here that would love to pray with you. But you guys come on and, and come down this way a little bit, Cliff, and scoot. Um, Use our prayer team. So as we do, we're going to close in just a second. And as we do, uh, I just want to challenge you this morning. I hope that my, my prayer on the, way to, on the way to church this morning, I was in the car by myself, and my prayer was this. God, don't let me teach me this morning. God, don't let this be about me. Let me share what you have put in my heart. Let me share your word, because if it comes from you, then everything is cool. If it comes from me, I'm probably going to screw it up. And I'm going to make some people mad this morning. And I don't want to make these people mad. They're my family. They blessed my family. I love them. I'm a part of them because I chose to be and I love this church. And so this morning, I'll challenge you guys to go ahead and start playing whenever. Um, so as we close this morning, here's what I want to challenge you to do. I want to challenge you to make this prayer. God... Help me lose the distractions. God, help me be focused. 
God, help me look past things. Help me, you know, maybe you need to work on your list of three things, the things that are worth dying for, the things worth fighting for, and everything else. God, help me get the things in the right columns. I don't say I have them in the right columns. I just said that I've got a list. And the list is fluid because there are times that God convicts me and says, this should be more important to you or, you know what, this shouldn't be that important to you. You need to move this over. I've been, I first gave my heart to Jesus at the age of six years old in a, uh, in, in a classroom at Grace Christian School in Birmingham. And uh, that was almost 40 years ago. And I'd like to say that I had it all figured out and ever since then I haven't made a mistake since and my life has been perfect. But it hasn't. I've made lots of mistakes and I've done lots of stupid things. But the one constant has been that Jesus has always loved me. And He's never turned His back on me. 